I am your interim slash side host, James Hayes, <laughs> and I'm here with my co-host for this week, Mary, Dr. Mary Trays. And this week, we have a very special episode. We have with us returning Mr. Bernard Bernie Powers, and he is here to tell us about his uh, essay um, that he is working on um, about environmental ethics and palliative care. Great. Thanks for introducing us, James. It's good to be here in this seat rather than your seat. Um, Bernie, thanks for coming back. Good to see you both again. Yeah. This is, this is quite a, a start to our conversation because we're going to begin with your essay title. And let me just say that these last three episodes are student essay conversations and you students have been talking a lot about these papers together, right? Skylar, too, who will be next week's guest. Yes, Skylar's in a different DIS, so that one's going to be a little, I'll be less familiar with that one. But uh, Bernie, I'm very intimately aware of his essay. Well, I'm not really in the DIS. I'm just a fellow traveler. Okay. Okay. So these... I make this point because these are conversations that you two have been having and you're steeped in this conversation. So the rest of us are going, and I will represent the rest yeah. of us. We'll be asking questions that you two have considered for quite a long time and are now becoming the experts at. So just to just trying to place you within your knowledge and com uh, conversation about these topics. So, so Bernie, to that end, yes. um, why are you writing this paper? <laughs> and then we'll talk about what the paper is, but like, how did you come to want to write a paper on your own? It's a weird thing. Bernie. It is a weird thing. <laughs> and it's been blamed on me unfairly, I might add. The whole what the whole subject the whole matter? situation <laughs> the whole has situation. been blamed on me by me. Okay. That's fine. It's, it, it is not unfair. Okay. Not only fair. by James, <clears throat> but by Dr. Fenner, who we should mention is your student advisor. Correct. This, yes. This process. Right. Not your student advisor. Your faculty. Faculty advisor. advisor. Excuse yeah. me. Yes. We know what you meant. Okay. Um, a couple of semesters ago in Dr. Fenner's environmental ethics class, in the midst of a class about moral agency and moral patienthood and their roles, uh, he and I got into it a little bit about moral agency and moral patienthood and, and which is which and what is what. And a light bulb went on when I realized that there are moral agents and there are moral patients, but all moral agents are moral patients. The sphere, the, the circle of moral patients is, contains everything in the environment, in my opinion, and the, the opinion of others. Uh, because all, we all live in the environment. Correct. Nobody gets to stand outside of 
the environment. And no one has complete control over their environment. Not anywhere near complete right. control. <laughs> right. <clears throat> so I realized that, we realized that uh, in the class that uh, since all moral agents are moral patients, that really gives patienthood a lot more gravity. Um, and when we left that class, we walked out. I, I walked out with uh, our friend Michael, uh, who we'll talk about a little bit later, and uh, Dr. Fenner and myself, we walked out and we're walking down the hall, and Dr. Fenner said, I'll give you a DIS on this if you want. And, of course, you know, when you're offered that, I snapped it up. I said, absolutely. Yeah, and, and just for the, for the listener. Directed individual study. Right. We used to call them independent studies. Yeah, I think they're independent, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it transpired that um, being a lifetime learning student as I am, I don't qualify for a DIS. I found that out. The administration told me that after the fact. Oh, but, but let me let me uh, <laughs> step back for a second. So, Dr. Finner said, "Well, um, we need some more people." I want you to go find some students that <laughs> that that can also. <laughs> so, um, I was in uh, I was in the same. It was existentialism. No, yeah, the next it was the next semester. Yeah, because this was last semester. Oh, okay. So the following semester, um, you find your victims. I found my victims. That's for and, sure. And that was James Hayes and uh, and Caleb. Yep. Um. And I asked them if they would be interested in doing this and explained it to them, and they both said yes. And, and so your, your vague topic at that point is the environment, moral agency, and moral patienthood. Do you, you kind of have those three? Um, no, all it was was more, all I was told was moral agents and moral patients. And uh, I had not taken environmental ethics, so I had no idea what that was. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and it was just anything to do with that. So like my paper, for example, I don't, I don't think I even mentioned the environment, you know, right. but, which is fine. Um, so. Really? Okay. I mean, I probably put the word environment in there, but I, it's definitely not my focus. Okay. Yeah. Well, why don't you explain the difference between moral patients and moral oh. agents? Oh, look at you, Mr. Host. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, it, and that's a good question to ask me because we have a previous episode on uh, my paper topic, and our definition of moral agents and moral patients is the same. It's Dr. Fenner's. Um, we were both told to use his definition. So a moral agent is a, it, it, the, it's humans. So, you know, I guess there are some interpretations where, you know, animals can be moral agents as well. But in general, it's a human being who can um, exert and uh, take responsibility for their own actions. Um, so that's basically just kind of adults. And, and that's about it. Um, so moral patients, on the other hand, is it's just the opposite. It's uh, those who cannot, uh, you know, take responsibility for their actions. So that includes children, um, like in a legal and a moral sense. Um, people who are like kind of really sick, uh, who would be in palliative care, um, and uh, maybe some people of advanced age, trying to be sensitive here, and um, 
<laughs> and, was he looking at us? Brandon? No, no, I was, was the one, he one person. He was looking at me. <laughs> this, this is a whole other thing. Yeah, uh, and and then animals as well are typically included as well. So livestock, your pet, um, and that makes sense because I have a pet cat, Pinto, who's the best, and um, I am directly responsible for his well-being. If I don't yeah. feed him, bad stuff is going to happen. So. And and moral agents are particularly concerned with moral patients. Correct. Yeah, Correct. I think that's worth reminding ourselves of. absolutely and 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 you can kind of um these definitions are pretty flexible so you could say oh, okay the environment as a whole that's a moral patient as well um but uh that's m- for my paper that was the dividing line and i didn't really question that i said it's a binary and for the purposes of this paper i'm not really getting into it but bernie's paper kind of takes a little bit di- of a different spin on it well bernie will you tell us the title of your paper as it stands right this minute it's a working title it's a working title, but it's been pointed out to me recently that uh, it may be slightly flawed. <clears throat> the working title is, Can Palliative Care Mitigate Environmental Decline? Okay, so you get to explain that to us. Okay. Uh, palliative care is generally associated, palliative care is generally associated for people, for humans, and it's generally associated with, uh, in hospices. Right. And it's a philosophy. Hospice care. Of care in which we... In a minimally acceptable level of well-being in the face of environmental decline, in in my case. But uh, in the case of humans, in in hospice care, it's a minimally acceptable level of well-being in the face of physical decline, or let's just say sickness, right? serious illness, right? because it's not necessarily eventual, you know, soon, death soon. It's not. But it doesn't seek to cure necessarily. Exactly. It it seeks to create. It doesn't seek to cure at all. Right. It seeks to create an environment of calm and peace and well-being. Yes. And comfort. Making them as comfortable as possible. Yes. As opposed to... It can act in concert with attempts to cure. Right. But when we're talking... So to go back to your title. So palliative care uh, for the environment is... It's for the sufferers of environmental decline. Including... So the moral patients... Including the world itself, like including polluted rivers, including. I think so. Yes. Yeah. Smog and Mm -hmm. air pollution. Because I think that moral patients include animals, plants and minerals, the whole thing, the whole biosphere. Right. So, so let's get to your, back to your title for a second and, and. (laughs) how you're arguing that we can we have an obligation we can do this and we have the obligation we should can and should at best no i don't know if i should, I should say that but that our goal must be to to minimally should be provide palliative care to sufferers of environmental decline 
Which includes Which is everybody. Right. And there's your Venn diagram where moral agent is also moral patient. Right. The moral patience is a big, giant circle, and moral agents are, is a smaller circle entirely inside the larger circle. Okay. So all moral agents are also moral patients. Yes. Yeah. So maybe... Yeah, the example that I gave uh, before was that... Um, even the CEO of the largest fossil fuel company in the world is a moral patient. He breathes the same, he or she breathes the same air that we do. Right. So how did you get to this idea of, of palliative care? Where, where did that come Well, this your... is a, this is a really interesting thing because my first inclination was to write, a paper about just the fact that all moral agents are subsumed by moral patienthood. And I had an idea, and I told Dr. Fenner this is a metaphor, and I'm trying to turn this into, I said, when my, my father had Alzheimer's, and uh, when he began to get sick, one of the manifestations was he asked the same question over and over and over again, every few seconds. I mean, he was, you know, he was in a good mood, but he didn't realize that right. he was, he was asking, uh, you know, uh, do you, tra he used to ask me, do you travel a lot for your work? Mm -hmm. And I'd say, yeah, dad, you know, I travel around the Southeast some, you know, pretty good bit. And a couple of seconds would go by, maybe not even any more conversation. And he'd say, you travel a lot for your work. And obviously he didn't realize he was doing this, but in real time, he could tell, uh, he could read emotions from other people. Well, I learned because my, uh, uh, someone told me, look, you know, Alzheimer's patients, he, he'll never get better. This is not going to improve. You know, this is the situation that you have to face. So <clears throat> um, I would answer the same way every time he asked. If he asked a dozen times, I would answer as if it was the first time. Now, other members of my family would quickly become annoyed with him when he asked the same question over and over again. And they would say, you know, you just asked me that, Dad, or, or whatever. Uh, and that made him feel bad because he didn't realize he was doing it. And he could see they were annoyed, but he didn't understand why. But he had annoyed them somehow. And I said, look, you know, it, what's the point of that? Just yeah. answer him like it's the first time. And... That was my idea of palliative care. Uh, there's a situation that you have to face, and there's something you can you can't cure the situation, but it's something you can do to make it a little bit better, a little more comfortable. And that was the idea that I wanted to get across in this environmental thing. 
And Dr. Fenner just latched onto that idea. He said that you've got to put that in the paper. You've got to make that the central, the central idea. And which surprised me. Yep. Cause you, you, you weren't in the beginning, I, if I recall right, you weren't too sure if you were even going to put that in there. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. I just, it was the idea, yeah. the overall idea that yeah. I wanted to get across right. of, of is a, a situation we have to face. The environment is getting worse. Mm-hmm. Um, we may or may not, probably not, are going to be able to cure that certainly not in the short term. So what should we do? Should we avoid it? Should we not face it? Is there, are there things that we can do to make things better for us even while it's getting hotter and hotter? I think the answer to all that is yes. So the, there's the can we, and you've just said we should. Yes. Right. Right. I, I, I do think it's it's worth noting that palliative care is frustrating to people, as your story so nicely illustrates, because in some ways I think people feel it's a bit defeatist, right? That that we're not going for a cure. That there that com- confrontation with the limits of our capacities to deal with things is deeply frustrating, um, scary, limiting, and, and just too real to feel good about. Um, so I can imagine the resistance of one of your relatives, right? But also the, just the idea that we are satisfied with where we are environmentally or have to be satisfied and in some ways, just try to mitigate the anxiety that's produced from it. And, and we'll get to the, t- I mean, going back to the title of your paper, that mitigation doesn't feel great in some ways. You know, we'd like an answer. We would like <laughs> a solution. And you're really saying something quite different. That right. here we are, folks. I'm not saying there's a solution or not. There may be a solution. Uh, th- it doesn't really matter. We got to deal with this. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. We have to deal with it whether whether we can corral the problem and reverse it. But there are many, many, many people that think that we can. Well, this this seems particularly important for those of us who are not going to be um, the scientists who create solutions to these problems. The ordinary person who's doing the best they can by recycling and hanging out their laundry as opposed to using the dryer. I mean, just these little things growing, you know, tomatoes without miracle grow, (laughs) And all these things that... You can do that? I I haven't been able to do it, but I hear tell. Well, I'm not Um, hanging out my laundry either, so we're Well, I'm hanging out my laundry. I'm doing that, but... um, so I, I do think that, that one of the things many of us feel around the environment in particular is this sort of, God, I can't do anything. I, everything I'm doing is so small. So I do think it's very relevant to most of us what you're talking about. And, and 
confronting our limitations as moral agents, which is, okay, so that made my little statement. But now my question is, what, what makes this a moral question, right? This, this mitigation, what makes that a moral event? Am I, I'm not sure I'm asking it correctly. But as moral agents, how are we connected to the, to the environment and pallid, palliative care? Well, we're not necessarily connected. I mean, um, because I think the vast majority of people they just don't want to face it. You know, maybe some of my family members didn't even want to face the fact that my dad had Alzheimer's. Right. They just, you know, I don't want to think about it. Right. In fact, one of them once said, I just wish he'd get better. Yeah. You know. Right. Um, I, I guess, I, I'm, as I'm struggling to frame the question, is there a moral moment in the acceptance of our selves vis-a-vis the environment's decline? Wouldn't that get into, I think I get what you're trying to ask, because it's it's interesting, This the, the metaphor is actually a lot deeper than, than um, I thought before we started doing this, because it's, from the standpoint of the agent, you know, whether that's in regards to the environment or, or you and your um, uh, family members, it's in the face of this, like, kind of uncontrollable, unknown event that you can't, what can you do about it, you know? Um, so maybe the moral aspect of it is, or I, what's kind of coming up for me is this idea of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Like, but yes, responsibility we, just to be honest about where we are, right. that we're at a palliative right. care stage as opposed to a cure stage, right. is there a moral moment right there that would allow us then to get to the, you know, what we can do, what we should do? I think facing the fact that we may be at a tipping point. Yep. Now, I'm going to avoid that in this paper. I'm not, I'm not saying we're, we've already, it's, we're screwed. We've already passed the tipping point. And neither am I saying we'll pull it out. We're going to, you know, we'll figure out a way to cool the earth off and, and everything will be great. Right. And the, you know, the polar caps will refreeze and, you know. They, well, and then that, that I'm suggesting, just that is the moral moment where you face the, the unknown, like you can't know, you can't make me feel better about the environment. You can't make James feel better about the environment, and that all three of us <laughs> and everybody else has a moral obligation to really look at that. I think. Well, I'm not much of a moralist. However, I am somewhat of an agent. Um. So. I guess my attitude is why not? If there's something I can do, if I can answer my father every time he asks the same question and it doesn't make him feel bad, then why, why shouldn't I? Mm-hmm. Why not? You know, Sounds like an argument in favor of utility a little bit. It's a win-win. Yeah. yeah. So there are already things happening, things being done 
that are examples of what can be done to mitigate the situation, help the sufferers, no matter which way the big picture goes. Um, and I, Dr. Finner gave me the idea of calling, calling these things prescriptions. He said, I want prescriptions from you. What can we do? How can it be done? Um, and at this moment in the paper, I have five different examples that I call, they're already in progress that I call prescriptions for what can be done. Um, one of them is uh, acting with palliative care in tandem with the curative treatment, with the attempts to, to reverse the climate decline. Um, there, there's a section about uh, improving things in Africa. Uh, in the, in the uh, you know, they have the, this blistering climate problem because of the increased temperatures worldwide. Uh, so they have droughts, they have floods, they, and, and to exacerbate the situation in Africa, they don't have the funds. That's a whole, um, a whole area of, of thrust in environmental um, action whereby uh, people feel that it's necessary to help developing countries uh, with more loans and the things that they're not usually, uh, they can't get themselves. You know, the World Bank and yeah. people like that are working on helping uh, uh, some of these countries. And having a fund in place for them to borrow right. from. So they can eke out some crops. They can do a better job, even though it's getting hotter every year. Yeah. So that's one, one of your prescriptions. That's one of the prescriptions. Um, another one is, uh, and this is one of Dr. Fenner's favorites, he said. Um, uh, in a hospice, one of, the, one of the directives is to lessen the psychological pain of critically ill people. Well, I chose, an, oh, uh, by the way, and I built this paper. <clears throat> I didn't go back like I usually do to, to philosophy essays and things to get it. It's all built on AP news stories. Mm-hmm. At things that are hap that have happened in the last two months since I've been working on the paper, and, you know. So this ripped from the headlines. Yes. Oh, good. And one of the stories is about uh, Greta Thunberg. Um, and I came up with this idea of using the story about her getting arrested in London. They picketed someplace and sat on the sidewalk. It was an oil uh, fossil fuel company meeting and they were they tried to block the door and stuff and she got taken to jail and some of her friends um and i used that story as a as a lesson um an example of lessening psychological pain <laughs> because dr finner said oh she's my hero you know 
it it makes people feel better to know that she's in she's the world. Arrested. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. yes. You know, she's out there, and and I mean, I don't. A lot of people have told me that. Oh, she's great. You know, right. And right. it makes people fit. And who knows? You know. Right. Oh, well, maybe I'll go do that. Maybe I can help. You know, some way like that. Yeah. It's, well, that that it's not hopeless. That somebody's talking about it. Right. right? This right. young girl. I don't know how old she is now. She, Last I looked, she was about 14, right? Yes. Um, Probably still she, a teenager. I don't know. She, yeah, she could be 25. Um, so that's two. Um, uh, there's a story that about temperature rise and slowing the inevitable. Now, this kind of takes the attitude that, I mean, you use the word inevitable, but uh, um, about the Arctic ice caps uh, and the Antarctic ice caps. Um, but it's really complicated. I mean, I can't, there's no way I can in this. Okay. But in this podcast but you're that looking I can explain. At that. Right. And, and these prescriptions are, it sounds like, are examples of palliative care. Is that right? They are examples of, of things that are already happening. But uh, Dr. Finner... That lessen both our, our anxiety around climate change, but also help us confront it. Does that sound right? Help yeah. us acknowledge yes. it. Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. That sounds right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a question I have while, while you're kind of going into that is, um, I mean, throughout this whole episode, it's kind of hitting me how deep this metaphor goes. And, uh, I mean, a big part of palliative care, like let's say someone has a brain tumor, you know, uh, a side effect potentially is like unending migraines. So maybe a palliative care approach would be to address the symptom, even though the root causes kind of uh, uh, more complicated and, and it might be inoperable or something like that. So does your paper at all go into that division between symptom versus root cause and treating the symptom over the root cause? Or I know that first prescription is kind of like, let's, let's look at both and alleviate the symptom while, while we are trying to address the root cause. But do you, does it go in, in any more about that? Only to the extent that um, it gives examples of, of, uh, working in tandem with curative right. treatment, right? Because uh, I was I was warned not to get into the uh, in, in one of the comments in one of my several drafts that I've submitted to Dr. Fenner was uh, it sounds like here you're maybe arguing that there's a way to fix this, right? And that's there may be a way to fix it, but that's not. What you're doing right. in this that's paper. That's not what I'm you doing. You want to stay neutral on that a yeah, little bit. Yeah, that, exactly. I have to stay neutral yeah. on that. Yeah. Um, I should have mentioned that uh, I, we had a lot of help um, from a friend of ours, who's another lifetime learning student, friend of mine, that I met in Dr. In Dr. Fenner's. Actually, I met him, Michael Rosen, in uh, Dr. Fenner's. The first class was in aesthetics, and then we we took 
together we took the environmental ethics class. Now, Michael is an expert on palliative care. He is the managing, let me think of his title. Uh, he's a managing member of uh, two different hospices, one in New York and one in Minnesota. So that's his business, is palliative care. Um, and he provided uh, sources and his own definitions of palliative care that, you know, helped me a lot in the paper. I just want to acknowledge that. Yeah. Um, and he's been coming to the meetings um, that, that the, the few people working on papers, uh, James and Caleb and Brian. Brian. And who accidentally registered, but is stuck with it. So and, special special yeah. shout out to Brian. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I didn't uh, find Brian. Brian found the, the yep. DIS. Yep. Oh, good. And so, so kind of back to Michael though. Like, I've been in those meetings, and 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 I I know his background and all that stuff. But in your paper specifically, like, if I'm reading it, where am I going to see Michael's influence? In the in the. There's a section that describes palliative care for humans. Okay. A whole section. Okay. Then there's the following section describes palliative care for, as the definitions of palliative care mm -hmm. for the sufferers of the environment. Right. That, that idea, and maybe we haven't stressed this enough, the idea that what we're seeking to do is eliminate suffering, um, suffering both physical and psychological mitigate suffering yeah. not eliminate okay we can't eliminate no right, right. but we're but i i think we kind of skimmed over that maybe a little too quickly um and didn't discuss how important that is that suffering um is a worthy eliminate and oh mitigating suffering is an important moral concern sure right? it's it's a we shouldn't miss that. Right. right. Maybe maybe part of this perspective change is because I would do the same thing. I'd probably want to put eliminate versus uh, mitigate all the time. Right. And a perspective change after reading your paper maybe is like, okay, you know, switching it from eliminate to mitigate and keeping that in mind when, you know, recycling, do, doing all these things for the environment and how you interact with the environment. Right. Well, mitigating is is very different from eliminating. Right. Um, and yeah, because eliminating is getting to cure. Right. And, and Mitigating actually is part of facing, facing the problem. Right. right. You know, I, there was no way my dad was going to be cured. Right. That was, that was hard to realize that. But it was made so much better by realizing, well, it can't be fixed, but it can be helped. You know, it doesn't have to be right. ignored and it doesn't have to be made worse. Yeah. It can, it can, you know. Well, um, I have in my notes here data, like <laughs> that's all I wrote down. Um, but I, I know I, don't have a great question here, but I know you've got some data that maybe you want to well, move the, us towards. The, the data is um, a part of, well, so what's the deal? What's, you know, what, uh, how bad is it? What's going on with the environment? 
There's this thing called the 2015 Paris Accord. A lot of people, you know, I'm sure you've heard of it. Yes. Not everybody knows what it is. It was it was uh, hundreds, 200 and something countries signed this Paris Accord in 2015. And the goal is to limit the warming of the atmosphere to 1.5 degrees Celsius above the pre-industrial temperatures. So going back before big industry, you know, before the Industrial Revolution, what these countries wanted to do and, and signed on to do was to limit the, you know, the temperature rise to one and a half degrees Celsius in this um, millennium. And, and, you know, there, there are several factors that are contributing. Everybody knows this, you know, what's contributing to right. the, to, to the uh, temperature, contributing to the temperature-wise rise. Um, you know, you've got um, deforestation. The big one is global, war, uh, is uh, gas house. Greenhouse, Greenhouse gases. Greenhouse gases, sorry. Yeah. Um, well... This accord was signed by every country except, I want to say, excuse me, there were one or two countries in the Middle East, oil producers, that refused to sign. Probably North Korea, I would assume. Possibly. And us, for a while. (laughs) Right. That's a whole thing. That's another podcast. We signed on. Yeah. But then... You know when who Donald came in. Trump yeah. was elected. He withdrew the United States yeah. from it. Yeah, yeah. But when Joe Biden was elected, he the first day, right? Yep, he put us back in. So, yep. so there's a little bit right there of uh, um, lessening the psychological pain. Yeah, yeah. That that lessened my psychological pain a little bit. Good. When yeah. Biden got when us, Biden got us back in. Well, Bernie. I think this is a very interesting subject to consider, um, and I do think many people suffer from the anxiety produced in by our environmental realities and the, that feeling that we can't um, affect change in the way we want, that it's beyond the individual's. So um, I think we should continue to answer the questions that are asked of us, like like you did your father over and over, and keep taking our bottles out and keep hanging our laundry out. And, or start. Uh, or start <laughs> hanging our laundry out and uh, confront as moral agents, um, even limited moral agents, or as you say, <laughs> to accept our moral patienthood in this instance and, you know, well, it, it struggle has, through. It has not been difficult to accept my moral patienthood this last summer. You may feel the same way. The hottest summer on record. I mean, <clears throat> I went out to, uh, I took a vacation, went to Portland 
you know, to Mount Hood. I mean, who would think? It was 100 degrees. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm like, I've got to get out of Florida. I'm, let's go to Portland. <laughs> and it was, it was a nightmare. Yeah. It was even hotter. <laughs> it's shocking. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that can easily leave us feeling hopeless and helpless. And we should and can um, write mitigate. a paper like this. Yes, we can. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, well, you know. Don't drag us all into that. Yeah. yeah. The, the goal of these papers that we're writing, we, we didn't talk about this, but what we're tasked to do is to um, have them published in journals. I mean, that's what, that, that's the, that's what Dr. Fenner wants. My that's what Dr. Fenner wants. Okay, that's yeah. just me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he, I mean, he's, he, and he laid it out. He said, you know, I want you to try the most prestigious journals. Mm-hmm. And then if that doesn't work, slightly less prestigious journals. <laughs> yep. Keep going and keep going. Or and, podcasts. And, or podcasts, oh, You could yeah. be all the way down to yeah. podcasts. Yeah. Uh, why hey, we, we put that. ourselves at the bottom? That was wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, Bernie, thank you so much. It was great to talk to you again. Are we out of time? I, yeah. and we are moving This is on. incredible. It goes fast. It feels fast, like five minutes. It goes yep. fast. It really does. But you gave us a lot to think about. And I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank you oh, for wait, having before me. Before we go, how have you ruined dinner, Bernie? Oh, yeah. I'm not sure. You're not sure? I can't remember dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I remember lunch. <laughs> uh, did you ruin that? No. Right. I enjoyed if it. If you were to ruin it, how would you ruin it, though? Uh, probably just by showing up. Oh, okay. Oh, oh that's that's, oh, a, that's a good yeah, answer. That's okay. a good answer. Okay, okay. braggart. All right. Okay. All right. I guess we're signing off now. We're off. All, All right. right. Thanks. Have a good evening. Thank you. Thank you.